Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. With only half of the Barclays Premier League teams in action this weekend, Chelsea took full advantage to go seven points clear at the top. And a Blues legend says Eden Hazard could help them lift the title. To beat the men, especially in the one versus one situation, is um, very, very good. I think it's probably the best that I've seen in this country. Because he's got power, he's got talent to do that. Gianfranco Zola joins us to discuss his old club's aspirations. While the Blues can make an argument for the best attacking midfielder in the world, Everton's Roberto Martinez thinks he's also got a gem. He's more than a footballer for Everton. For me, Leighton Baines is one of the best left-backs in European football. If not in world football, he's in the best moment of his career. And for him to commit this future with, with us, I think... Is one of the iconic footballers that we got at the football club. The Everton manager reflects on life at Goodison Park. After beating Fulham in the battle of the bottom two, Cardiff City's fight for survival means the world to some. Obviously, I've been at Cardiff since I was seven or eight years of age, so I've always wanted this club to be in the top flight. Last year was, you know, it's probably one of the happiest moments of my life, I suppose. It's nice to see that we're finally here and, and this is where we want to stay. We speak to Cardiff defender Declan John about the quest to stay up this season. And we also talk to a community legend about engaging disadvantaged youngsters in inner city Birmingham. Hello and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. I'm Marcus Buckland and joining me to look back on a slightly quieter weekend than usual in the top flight is the former Liverpool, Manchester City and Spurs striker Paul Walsh. Hi, Marcus. Now, Paul, before we look at Saturday's five Barclays Premier League matches, quick word on the weekend's FA Cup quarterfinals and the big shock, of course, Manchester City's home defeat to Holders Wigan, managed by a close friend of yours. Yeah, Uwe's a good mate of mine and uh, I texted him when the draw came out and said, great game for you, mate, you're going to love it. And he, I knew he'd get a great reception when he went back there but never in a million years did I think that he would win and when you look at the City side I mean they had plenty enough good players there to take the game but sometimes in those types of games you question whether their attitude's right going into the game and Uwe's got in their face unsettled them and you know he's got a magnificent result and I texted him after the game and went unbelievable mate you must have loved it and you know he did So they've seen off City they've got to see off Arsenal if they want to get to the final do you think they're capable of causing another upset? Well I don't but after this result they'll feel that nothing's beyond them as long as Arsenal go into it with the right attitude they should win the game. But it's a great achievement for Uve to get this far, day out at Wembley. You know, they've got nothing to lose. And congratulations as well to Hull and Sheffield United in the other semi-final. Uh, just to remind you, throughout the season, we're also looking for the standout moments of sportsmanship and spirit in the game through our hashtag YouAreFootball campaign. Any particular examples of that which caught your eye? Well, I think Samuel Eto'o scored his 300th career goal, but also his celebration was the best bit, wasn't it? I mean, you know, he's had a little bit of criticism about how old he might be. And over to the corner flag bending over like an old man I thought was quite comical. Yeah, yeah good way probably to draw a line under the, the whole incident. <laughs> well, we'll start with uh, what was the archetypal relegation six-pointer as the bottom two, Cardiff and Fulham, went head-to-head in South Wales and it was Cardiff who came out on top, 3-1 winners, yeah. crucial win for them, obviously, and a, a massive setback for Fulham as well. Well, it was, I mean, you know, for both sides it was a you know must-win game and Cardiff were desperate. I thought it was a close game for large periods, but the goals obviously turn it and Corker, you know, got in 
in there with with a couple, and then the, the last one was a little bit fortunate. You know, with Rita coming back off him after a good hit and knocking it in for the own goal. You know, you look at Fulham and the managers getting criticised for maybe going with the two strangers up front in Matroglu. Uh, Woodrow hadn't played, so you're sticking two players. Not to say they hadn't worked together in training, but it's another thing that gives people on the outside looking in a chance to criticise the manager when it doesn't go well. And certainly that happened after this game. Clearly, Felix Magat has his work cut out of Fulham are going to survive. Let's hear from the relieved Cardiff manager Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. When you go as long as we did without getting wins or getting goals, it does take a toll. Having three in one game gives everyone a boost. We know we're a threat from set pieces. We know we've got strikers who can, or they're a handful in the box. Confidence, you, you can't go into the fridge and pick it out. That comes from performances, but then mostly it comes from results. You know, a little deflection here and there, that's what gives you the belief when you go home because the result is more important than the performance. Well, to discuss that crucial win in more detail, I'm delighted to say that we're joined now by somebody who played his part in it, Cardiff's young Welsh left-back, Declan John. Declan, congratulations. Massive result at the bottom of the table. Describe for us the feeling in the dressing room afterwards. Well, it's brilliant. Obviously, we've gone on a run without much wins the last couple of games. Obviously, it's probably the biggest game of the season for us as Fulham were just below us and we were the bottom of the table. So, you know, to get a win against them just pushes the gap also at the bottom and hopefully we can get a couple more wins to the end of the season to try and get us up to the relegation zone. It seemed like a little bit of a tweak to the formation against Fulham to 4-5-1. How big a factor was that, do you think, in getting the right result? We changed the uh, formation against Spurs the week before and uh, it worked really well with uh, almost the five of the back defending and me also playing almost like a full back but a wing back as well. We decided to go a bit more attacking against Fulham because we had to go for it, you know, we needed the win. It paid off and I thought the boys were brilliant on uh, Saturday. And Declan, tell us about life under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, obviously a Barclays Premier League star as a player. What is he like as a manager? Well, I mean, he's a great manager, you know, he just wants us to go out there with no fear on the ball. You know, he just wants us to go out there and play and show everyone how good we are and it's all about a team effort, you know, he doesn't let anybody sort of slack off. He wants everybody working for each other and putting the shift in for the team. Does he still bang the goals in in training? To be honest, he hasn't really uh, joined in a couple of times, but he does do a couple of demos with the strikers before, and I'm not going to lie, he does it at the top corner. <laughs> and overall, how would you describe the mood at the club right now as you head towards this run-in? Well, obviously, uh, the win has picked us all up. We're all very happy at the moment, and hopefully we can just go down to Everton, hopefully put on a good performance and get a good result. And obviously, from a personal point of view, it's been quite a season for you. Just 18, now a full Wales international, regular starter in the Barclays Premier League. Grant Sheehan on Twitter has sent in this question. Did you expect to break through to the first team in the manner that you have this season? Well, no. I mean, um, obviously, I started off as a winger in my younger days, I suppose. And up until last season, the old manager, Marky McKay, put me in. You know, he believed in me to playing the full-back spot and I've done really well and I've just kicked off from there really and so I'm doing really well and I just want to keep it going. And you're part of a very strong nucleus of British youngsters at the club, Craig Noon, Jordan Much, Stephen Corker, Fraser Campbell as well. So um, I guess there's a, there's a good bond between you all at the moment. Yeah, um, obviously, you know, all the boys are really nice. They made me feel welcome coming into the team. You know, everyone's really nice and it's good to have some young players in as well. The manager's given a chance also with the team that we have got. We've got a lot of good players here and the results of late haven't really showed that, but hopefully we can just keep playing well and just keep getting higher up the table as we go along. 
It's won nine big games to go. Club's still in the relegation zone on goal difference. What does this battle mean to you as a, a local boy and a Welshman? Obviously, I've been at Cardiff since I was seven or eight years of age, so I've always wanted this club to be in the top flight. Last year was probably one of the happiest moments of my life, I suppose, because I wanted this club to succeed and get into the Premier League. They tried so many seasons before and failed. So it's nice to see that we're finally here and this is where we want to stay. And one final question, Declan. Growing up, who were your footballing heroes and have you had a chance to meet any of them? I'd probably say my footballing hero was probably Michael Owen at the time. Because I did, apart from Cardiff, I did like Liverpool and I started off as a striker. So I think he was probably my idol that I did look up to in my younger days. You know, he was quick and really pacey. He used to score a lot of goals, so I think that's what I really liked about him, but um, I haven't had the chance to meet him yet, so hopefully one day. Well, if you manage to keep Cardiff up, you'll become the hero to many as well. Thanks very much for talking to us, Declan, and best of luck for the rest of the season. Thank you. A young man definitely making his mark uh, at the highest level, Paul, and it's obviously given them all a huge boost with those nine games now to come. Well, that's right, and you know, I've been in this position as a player. When I was at Manchester City, we were second bottom, and confidence is fragile. You do need something that just turns confidence in your way, so social bang on with all of that but for the young lad to be getting in there making his mark you know, at this level is fantastic for him as well What about the situation for Fulham? We know they keep changing the managerial structure but what doesn't change is the fact that they concede so many goals and, and they keep losing so many games Magat's only got the same group of players there's no magic wand that he can wave he's got to try and work with what he's got and what you do is you try and change the formation you change the personnel he will get criticised for the front too where is Darren Bent? You know, you've got a player there that will score your goals, but you've just got to get him supply. But for some reason, he's not included. As with Solskjaer, Fulham desperately need a result. They need something to go their way just to get them on some sort of roll, and you never know, but very unlikely, and they're looking doomed. Well, the Fulham fans were hoping for miracles from their new £12 million signing, Kostas Mitroglu. But Felix Magat believes the striker still needs time to adapt to the pace of the Barclays Premier League. Mitroglou is another type of player. He is a finisher. Yeah? His strength is in the box to score. But he is not used to the Premier League and so he is not at the moment really confident to make a goal. He had, he had one and the other chance, but he needs a goal, I think. Well, he does obviously need a goal, but those are the sort of words that the Fulham fans will be wanting to hear about their new star striker right now, are they? No, I mean, I don't get the logic of it. You've got a goal scorer in Bent who's proven, and then you get two players, one a young player that's trying to make his way and another player, foreigner, that he's making excuses for and saying he's not ready and he's not used to it. Well, Fulham haven't got time to start managing that situation and waiting for him to develop his game in England, so it's a strange selection for me. Well, they're bottom of the table. They're effectively five points short of safety because of their goal Difference. Next up, Newcastle at home. Another must-win match. I mean, they're all must-win matches now for Fulham, aren't they? Well, yeah, I mean, because the margin for error gets less and less. Most of us that have been in the game are starting to feel that it's beyond them now. Well, two other teams fighting relegation at the moment are Norwich and Stoke. They shared the spoils at Carrow Road in a nervy 1-1 draw. Norwich taking the lead in the second half through Bradley Johnson. Yep. Do you think they should have hung on for all three points? Norwich looked comfortable-ish. But, you know, one rash challenge for someone thinks he 
can get it? Does he have to make the challenge? Gudetti was going away from goal. Just did well by getting the touch away from Bassong uh, and then the challenge come in. But could he have just ushered him away from goal and didn't commit to it? And Walter stuck the penalty in. Great bottle from him, by the way, considering he's had a bit of a stinker in front of uh, goal in terms of penalties. Yeah, he's come up with a couple of crucial ones um, in the past couple of weeks. Another game without a goal for striker Ricky Van Wolfswinkel. Paul Dutchman's now played a total of 1,159 minutes. That's 19 hours mm. and 19 minutes since scoring yeah. for Norwich on the opening day of the season. Did you ever go through a drought like that? Once for Liverpool, I went 13 without scoring. I'd like to think my circumstances were slightly different to his. I mean, I hadn't played for seven months and went in the side and and hit the ground running and scored a hat-trick in my second game, but then went 13 because I just ran out of steam because I wasn't fit. The struggle you have when this happens to you is you start to try and compensate by running all over the place, trying to be a team player rather than getting in the right areas, and that's the danger sometimes. Um, He's got to keep just trying to get in the right areas, and hopefully when that chance comes, he can take it. But it's not a nice feeling, and you do feel for someone when that's happening to them. Well, the Norwich manager, Chris Hewton, knows that time is running out for his side to maintain their top-flight status. We've been frustrated and disappointed with what we've done away from home, particularly after we had a, a little spell, but we haven't been able to build on that one. Nine games to go, five of them are away from home, uh, and we're certainly going to have to endeavour to get points away from home because we just don't want to have to rely on what has been a decent home form for us. The only target is to try and get three points in the next game. Three points in, in any game at this moment certainly makes life a little bit more comfortable than what it is at the moment. Coming up, they've got Sunderland, Swansea, West Brom and Fulham in four of their next five. And they then end the season with games against Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea and Arsenal. So right. if they're going to survive, they need to do it sooner rather than later, don't well, they? Well, yeah, looking at how the fixtures fall, you're dead right. Give themselves a bit of breathing space. You know, they might nick something in one of the other games, but if you as Chris Uton targeting points, you'd be wanting to get the points in those four or five. Otherwise, they're going to be really in trouble. As for Stoke, well, they remain without an away league win since the 31st of August. The point does take them up to 12, two ahead of Norwich. Defender Ryan Shawcross felt they should have done better at Carrow Road. We um, had a few good chances in the first half. We probably should have talk. We came in after time disappointed, and then obviously they got the goal from a set piece, which is, is disappointing, but it showed a lot of character after the sending off to see the game out. Yeah, it was a mixed day for John Walters. As you rightly said, Paul, he kept his nerve uh, to get the penalty and, and then got himself sent off. Didn't think there was too much malice. I just thought there was a fraction of a second where he thought he could get his foot up quickly and get the ball. Caught Teddy just on the way through. And, and in today's football, I think we have to accept that when you, you make that type of challenge, even though that no malice intended and you make contact, you run in the risk of, of getting sent off. And, and that's why I, mean, I thought it was a little bit unlucky. Well, just one defeat in six now for Stoke, who um, reasonably comfortable in 12th position. Coming up, we'll be speaking exclusively to one of the greatest players the Barclays Premier League has ever seen. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Marcus Buckland. To Selhurst Park next, where Crystal Palace went down to their second home defeat in a row with Jay Rodriguez's first half strike proving the difference for Southampton. And it was a brave goal from the England international, his 11th of a profitable season. You, you've yep. got to get in where it hurts at times to score your goals, haven't you? This is a player that's done things this season that I didn't think he had in his locker. And sometimes that happens when you're playing right at the top of your game. He's come on bundles, he's got his England cap. And he's, he started to really flourish, I think, as a player. 
Uh, may have an outside chance of going to the World Cup, but was onto it very quickly. And as Speroni came out, you know, it was a fair challenge. They went in sideways. They both got the ball. Maybe he got a little bit of luck. It popped out for him. And then still on the floor, managed to adjust his body to knock it into the back of the net. Interesting stat with regards to uh, Rodriguez. No player has scored more Barclays Premier League goals away from home this season. He's got eight, level with Suarez, Rooney and Sturridge. We can hear from two more of uh, Southampton's young English stars, defender Nathaniel Klein. First of all, their captain, Adam Lallana, who was fresh from setting up the winner for England against Denmark during the week. Great week. It was a, uh, obviously a good win in the week, but back to business today at club level and... Um... I thought we showed great resilience in that second half. It was a tough place to come. They're fighting for their lives and um, it's great to get a clean sheet. Fully deserve the points, especially on our first half display. We're just going to keep pushing and see if we can get how much points we can get to push us up the board and hopefully try and get into a Europa League spot. But if not, then just keep pushing high as we can. You know, we want to finish above Newcastle, above United and if we keep performing uh, like that, showing character, then we'll get more wins. Southampton's getting selected for England now, so if I push on, then hopefully I can get my chance and I can join them. Well, a Europa League spot is probably beyond them battling with Newcastle for eighth. But Maurizio Pochettino, interestingly, was saying it, it doesn't matter where you are in the league, just playing for your club should be sufficient motivation. Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough to do what they just said. Maybe jump above Newcastle, but I think other than that, it's going to be tough for them. I still think that would be a great finish for Southampton. And, and yeah, I mean, I think players, you've got to keep motivating yourself. And because they have got so many players sniffing around the England setup, they've got to have a high level of performance. A disappointing defeat for Palace, their third in five games, leaves them just two points above the relegation zone and Tony Pulis was particularly annoyed about the manner in which his side conceded the game's only goal. You know, it's come from our set play and they've broken with two opportunities to deal with it and we didn't deal with it. We needed something to go for us and, and nothing did. But Southampton have got some quality. They're very, very hard work inside and you know, it was a competitive game. We've got 10 cup finals now. We've done fantastically well to get to this point. 10 very, very tough games. We'll give it our best shot. They'll need to. Tony Pulis said a couple of weeks ago their home form was going to be crucial. Back-to-back yeah. defeats against Manchester United and, and Southampton, not really the fillet they need at this stage. No, and this game was something that they would have earmarked as a potential gaining some points. And you can understand why I was annoyed at the goal. As punch and knocks it down, it's a poor header. Then Rodriguez gets there before the defender and then the goalkeeper has a chance to deal with it. If you're looking at it from a hypercritical point and Tony Pulis's point of view, there's three things that could have been done better. Argument that perhaps Southampton should have been reduced to ten men when Lovren went in on Balassi? Yeah, another day, a different referee, he goes off. I think what saved him was that the touch from Balassi was going towards a Southampton player. He wasn't getting the ball, but I thought it was probably the right decision not to give a red. And a big problem, clearly scoring goals or not scoring goals, just 19 in 28 games, lowest scorers in the division this season. Chamak injured at the weekend, Glenn Murray just back from injury. Thomas Ince didn't start. Um, it seems to be a, a real conundrum where they're going to get sufficient goals from. Tom Ince, you like to think, is a player that's got a little bit of quality. I mean, Joe Ledley came in and, and got a goal, didn't he? And Chamak has been scoring some goals, but Balassi doesn't really contribute. Glenn Murray's just come back and hopefully he can get his, his career and his season going. But yeah, it is a worry. But Shamaku has caught a bit of fire. Uh, you like to think that uh, you know when he comes back into the side that he might continue to do that. Well, they're currently 16th, couple of places above the drop zone. They go to Sunderland next. Uh, and a reminder, of course, that the Eagles have never survived a season in the Barclays Premier League. How they would love to put that right. Coming up, we'll be focusing on the top half of the table and speaking exclusively to Chelsea legend Gianfranco Zola. 
Now, Barclays has been running the Barclays Twitter ticket competition for you, the fans, over the past few months, where you can win tickets to a match involving your club simply by telling us why you are football. Let's take a quick look at some of the recent winning entries. Jamie Lawrence, an Arsenal fan, tweeted, staying loyal to a manager. That's doing things the right way. Had tough times. Good ones are coming, though. James, a Newcastle fan, says, meeting Kevin Keegan after a friendly in 1993. He asked who my favourite player was and then brought him off the bus for a chat. And Wendy Swain admits, I once rearranged my wedding day just so I could watch the North London derby and I might have to leave my nephew's birthday early to watch Sunday's match. And actually, it's a North London derby that uh, has memories for you as well. Well, that's right, yeah. My oldest son, Jordan, was born on derby day. He's 23 now. That's how long ago that was. He was born at 10 o'clock in the morning, so I was there for the birth. And then uh, we drew nil-nil with Arsenal that afternoon in pretty drab uh, game as it happens. But uh, it always sticks in my mind, obviously, because of my oldest boy's birth. And, and, and were you fully focused for the game after such an exciting morning? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the only funny part about it was we, we, we called him Jordan, obviously, but Gaza... Um, went on the tannoy before the game and told the whole crowd that we'd named him Alfie uh, just for a bit of a laugh. But, uh, you know, yeah, no, we, we was focused for the game, but uh, it just wasn't a great game on the day. Trust Paul Gascoigne to get <laughs> yeah. involved. Uh, to have a chance of winning tickets to watch your club, tweet why you are football to at Barclays Footy using the hashtag you are football or post it on the Barclays Football Facebook page. I'm here with Paul Walsh as we continue our look back at the weekend's action. To the top half of the table now in the Saturday evening London derby between Chelsea and Spurs, where after an even first half, the Blues ran right in the second 45, putting four past their neighbours without reply. Was it a, a slightly flattering scoreline for them? Up until the mistake happens from Vertonghen, who got in front of the ball, then he slipped, and then he's tried to hook it back to the keeper, uh, not knowing that the predatory instincts of Etu were kicking in because he's saying, please knock that back to your goalkeeper because I'm on my way, and stuck it in the back of the net, and suddenly that put Chelsea on the front foot. And then you get the, the cabal sending off, and suddenly it's all going wrong. A contentious penalty decision goes against you, I've got to be honest, I heard what Tim Sherwood said, but I thought Cabal's the wrong side of him, does bump into him, goes down easily, but I think it's a penalty. But having said that, Tim was still disappointed with the, you know, the third and the fourth goal, the fact that the way they reacted, he wants to tell players how he's feeling, but he's also got to manage that situation because sometimes these days you get the players on the wrong side of you, they can give you a big problem in the end. We'll hear from uh, Tim Sherwood in just a moment. The irony, of course, with regards to Eto is that he wasn't even down to start the match, but Fernando yeah. Torres picked up a, an injury in, in warm-up. When things are going your way, that sort of thing happens, I yeah. guess. Well, he's a top, top player, by the way, and sometimes, you know, I think maybe because of his age, he only rests him in certain games because I think he is Mourinho's first-choice centre-forward. Yeah, well, he, of course, celebrated his goal with the light-hearted <laughs> old man celebration in, in response to what Jose Mourinho had been... Uh, heard inadvertently saying a couple of weeks ago with regard to his age and his manager appreciates how the striker responded to those comments. I think it's amazing uh, the way he copes with the situation that happens in the last couple of weeks. I think it's fantastic and today I told him before the game you are going to score for sure because he was supposed to be on the bench, Fernando was supposed to start the game. So when before the game, a couple of minutes before, we know that Fernando is not playing and Samuel is playing, I thought this is your destiny. You go there and you score for sure and he was there. Mourinho reading the future, picking up the points. Uh, to discuss Chelsea's emphatic win in more detail, as well as their title hopes, we're joined now by a Blues legend, one of the greatest players the Barclays Premier League has ever seen. A welcome to the show to Gianfranco Zola. Hello. 
Fantastic to have you with us, uh, Gianfranco. Another win for Chelsea, another home win for Jose Mourinho. Do you think 4-0 was a fair reflection of the game? I was there, I saw the game, and I thought that uh, after the way Tottenham played the first uh, 45 minutes, I think it was too much. But I think it was their own fault because uh, they made too many mistakes. I think uh, three of the four goals were from Tottenham mistakes, and uh, that was the difference. Apart from that, uh, both teams, they were level on the pitch in the first 45. Uh, obviously, Chelsea knew what was, go- what was doing, and uh, they waited, uh, and as all the big teams, they just waited, uh, being solid, and uh, and they took advantage of the every single mistake that uh, Tottenham has made. Yeah, ironically, more assists from a, a Spurs player in that game than uh, any other games this season for <laughs> Tottenham. Um, it's left Chelsea seven points clear at the top. They have, of course, played more games than most of their rivals. Do you expect them to still be top come the end of the season? Well, there, there are huge indications that this might happen. First of all, because uh, it's not easy for anyone to win three games in the Premier League, not even for uh, a team like Manchester City. And uh, I also believe that uh, there will be a slight, slight pressure on uh, Manchester City to win those games. So therefore, yes, they have, uh, in my opinion, deservedly built up uh, a good advantage on, on, on uh, Manchester City. But... You know, it's still to play and uh, Manchester City has got uh, qualities, uh, you know, to do that. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it should be a fascinating end to the title race. Um, now, Gianfranco, uh, Jose Mourinho has been in the headlines recently talking about Samuel Eto'o's age. Um, of course, we saw Eto'o's humorous response to that when he scored his goal. You played at the top level well into your 30s, so you're proof that age is not a barrier to great performances. Is, is that more and more the case now, do you feel, that even being well the wrong side of 30 does not matter at the top of professional football? Well, it depends on the profession of football. It's true that, uh, obviously, as you go on in, with, with your age, you lose, uh, you lose some physical qualities. The thing that, uh, that has to be said that uh, these qualities that uh, you lose, they are compensated by the fact that you got uh, much more knowledge about the game, you got much more knowledge about yourself. So that gives you, uh, in my opinion, an advantage because you can handle the situation better. But it's a lot of work to do. I know myself in the last few years, while the other players, maybe they used to train two or three hours a day, I used to work four or five hours a day because you need to get more extra work, uh, which is, uh, doesn't mean to that you have to work harder, but there has to be more quality and, uh, in your work, and that can uh, give you the, the possibility to, to play longer. But as a, again, it's uh, it's important that the frame of mind and the, and the mindset of the players to be spot on because otherwise it is more difficult. Well, that's interesting. Of course, Frank Lampard is heralded for his hard work as well. He made his 400th Barclays Premier League start for Chelsea on Saturday, only the fifth player to have achieved that feat for a single club. Uh, and of course, you played with Frank in his early days. Did you think that he would be as good as he has been for as long as he has been? We're not surprised for me that uh, Frank uh, is is uh, done so well and has been playing for such a long time because uh, I do remember him uh, spending a lot of time after training session was finished to to work on his skills. So the attitude was uh, magnificent all the time. And when you have the attitude in form and everything, it makes a huge difference. So I'm not surprised. Honestly, he's gone really, really beyond. Uh, 
any expectations because you know you don't see normally <laughs> midfielders that they score more than a striker like he does. And uh, Afazan, I can say, is totally deserved because. Uh, He's really worked very hard. Absolutely. Uh, we've got a Twitter question for you from at Henry Sparta, who asked, do you agree that Eden Hazard has a similar style of play to yours from back in the good old days? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially in the one versus one situation, is um, very, very good. I think he's probably the best that I've seen in this country. Beat the man because he's got power, he's got talent to do that. He will, uh, he will learn more and more to be more effective with his skills, and he will get also, you know, other parts of the game in in a better shape. But right now, yes, he's probably one of the best, if not the best, in this country in beating the men in the one versus one situation. Yeah, he's a very exciting prospect. Obviously, uh, another yeah. Twitter question for you. This one from Scott Saunders says: Are you happy you played for Chelsea in the nineties, or do you sometimes wish that you could have played with this current Chelsea team? No, I'm very happy that I played my time for for Chelsea. I was, uh, I was, I'll never, I'll never trade my experience that I had with uh, with uh, the players like uh, Dennis, uh, Dennis Weiss, uh, Gaspoyer, Roberto Di Matteo. Kevin Ichikov and so on because we had a fantastic time. Chelsea in those days it wasn't it wasn't the Chelsea that is now, but we were starting. Uh, you know, we were at the beginning of a new era, if I can say that. And it was a very fantastic, really, to be part of that start. And we all uh, remember that. So no, it's obviously you know to be a part of a, of a, such a winning team like Chelsea is now. You, Obviously, it's very good, but I wouldn't really change my time with, uh, with any. Well, you mentioned some of the players um, that uh, you partnered at, at Chelsea and you've played with some, some great players, obviously, during your career at Napoli, Parma, Chelsea and Italy. Here's a tough question for you, Gianfranco. Who's the best that you have ever played with? Well, it's, <laughs> it comes very easy <laughs> for me. I mean, I, without uh, disrespect this, this towards all the very good players that I play with, and I can mention, you know, I mentioned some that I played uh, in Chelsea, but I can tell you, like Aspiglia that I played in Parma, or Careca, or Baggio and Maldini that I played in the national team. Uh, all fantastic players, really, to play along along with them. But, uh, but uh, I mean, obviously, Maradona is the one that, you know, stands out to all, all of them. He, he was uh, an amazing player, an unbelievable player, and, uh, and uh, he, also he was a great inspiration to me as well. I thought that might be the answer, but uh, still, uh, very interesting nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> a final one for you. Um, what is next for you? Do you have um, any plans to get back into management? Oh, yes. Every experience I, I do, uh, like the under-21s and uh, also the one with West Ham and now Lily, the one we work for, they've been great to me in many, many, many terms. I learn a lot about uh, the profession. I learn a lot about myself a lot, <laughs> which is a very important thing. And, uh, yeah, it's making me all the time more prepared for the new one. So, yes, there will be another, another possibility. And as I said, uh, I'm looking forward to that. We look forward to seeing you back in the dugout sooner rather than later. Gianfranco, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Take care. Gianfranco Zola voted Chelsea's greatest ever player and obviously we wish him well if he goes back into management. Um, he named, not surprisingly, Diego Maradona as the greatest player he's um, ever played with. How highly did you regard 
Zola as a player, Paul? Well, every time Chelsea were playing, I made a point of sitting down and watching the game because he was playing, because he was one of those players who just had that bit of magic in his game. You know, he could twist and turn players, he could deliver, he could score, hit killer passes, and he was just great on the ball in tight areas, and uh, you can understand why he's been voted Chelsea's best ever player. Absolutely. Back to the weekend and the Spurs perspective, a second away defeat in a row, and uh, as Paul mentioned a few moments ago, a particularly hard result for manager Tim Sherwood to take to get out there and produce a performance you know we owe it to the fans they were fantastic here today for us we let them down again on the big occasion you ain't gonna finish top four if you can't beat the top teams ain't gonna happen miles away miles away unless you beat the top teams you know you gotta pick up some sort of points alright we beat Man United we beat Everton who are in and around us but you're reliant on rolling over there with respect to smaller sides all the time and you can't always happen like that I think they've done alright in patches but there, there has been too many blips you know, we're talking about fourth everyone in the club talks about fourth uh, wake up Strong words, his frustration very clear to see. Um, as a player, how would you respond to that sort of criticism from your manager? Well, yeah, but you're talking about a player from a different era. We wouldn't have liked that, but we, you know, we'd have rolled our sleeves up and tried to be better in the next game. I'm not saying a modern player doesn't do that. All I'm saying to you is that sometimes, if you criticise individuals, and he didn't name any names there, but he just said performance has got to be better and the players have to accept it, but do they accept it? Do they roll their sleeves up? Are they going to be better in the next game? I think he's trying to motivate them. And sometimes that's a delicate balance of how you do that through pats on the back or criticism. And at the moment, they're getting a little bit of criticism off him. You know, you just hope the players react in the right way. Series of individual errors. And of course, it's not the first time that they've been hammered. Liverpool turned them over at White Hart Lane. Manchester yep. City have turned them over home and away. So it's becoming a little bit of a, a worrying trend in the big games. And he says that's where they keep having their problems. Yeah. And what you get is then you get people start to say, you know, tactically in the big games, has he got it right? Has he got it wrong? Obviously, the results suggest that he's got it wrong in those games. Because what Tim did when he came into the team, he changed the balance from being slightly defensive to much more attacking. Maybe in the big games, he just needs to change one player in the midfield just to make themselves a little bit more resilient because obviously the opposition in the big games got much more firepower. They're four points off fourth they've played a game more than the teams above them as well and they have the small matter of the North London derby at the weekend yep. off the back of a very tough Europa League game against Benfica as well. Is it the perfect time to be playing Arsenal? Well I mean it's a perfect opportunity to bounce back with a great result and change the whole atmosphere of the club. It's a tough game but it's a great opportunity for the players to go and show their manager how they can play and that's what as a manager you're open for. Well, we'll round off our weekend review at the Hawthorns, where Manchester United made it back-to-back -back away wins, a comfortable 3-0 triumph over struggling West Brom. Much-needed boost for David Moyes, particularly off the back of that Champions League defeat at Olympiacos. One or two signs in the league, especially away from home, that they're starting to gel a little bit. If they could just get Van Persie back somewhere near to his former last season, because he looks a frustrated figure at the moment, could have easily been sent off. You know, in the end, I think Moyes took him off because he thought he was a risk. But in general, play. Manchester United moved the ball better, more confidently, and then when you get the goals, it just obviously makes the job a lot. He's a great delivery from uh, Van Persie for Jones's header. Rooney finding space at the back post made up a lot of ground to get into that back post there. If you watch it, as he set the ball off, he then had to make up a lot of ground. So, and Welbeck putting the icing on the cake, and always nice when you come on and you nick a goal. Just the result and building that bit of momentum. And if they can turn the Champions League one around, suddenly it can change their season around a little bit. Going in the right direction. And it was very clear that David Moyes was happy with the improved performance of his players. Well, I saw by their attitude it changed completely. They showed their effort, their commitment. 
not just their good play, I think it showed in, in their performance. Marouane Fellaini played very well. I thought Chris Smalling and Phil Jones were excellent. I thought Wayne and Robin were really good with Juan and uh, Adnan. All, all round, I think we, looked, we scored three goals and I felt as if we had goals in us today and we looked like it as well. Interesting stat, United have now named a different starting eleven in every one of their competitive matches this season. Quick there to offer praise to Mata, to Rooney and to Van Persie, but you touched on Robin Van Persie and very different analysis in some of the newspapers off the back of that particular game, some suggesting that he's still a critical part of the United setup, and others suggesting that now that Rooney's signed his new contract and he's the future, maybe there is not a long-term future for Van Persie. Where would uh, you stand on well, that Well, I'm only going to be guessing, aren't I, looking in it. There's been this rumour floating around all season, but he doesn't look happy. He's not playing at his best. And when he is, he's an absolutely unbelievable striker. So try and make him happy. And I don't know what it's going to take to do that and try and help him back to the form of last season because, you know, you want that in your team. But where it's going to end up at the end of the season, if he is unhappy, I'm not sure. But a lot of people are speculating that he could well be on his way. It is worth remembering that Van Persie has scored or assisted 14 Barclays Premier League goals in 16 Barclays Premier League starts this season, which is not a bad record. Next for United, Liverpool at the weekend so another huge test for the new manager. Yeah, but it's a great game that one, isn't it? Difficult one to call in terms of the result but just a great spectacle and I'll definitely be sitting down watching that one. Well, as for West Brom, they've now won just one of their last 18 league matches. Manager Pepe Mel still awaiting his first victory in charge and for some time they've already been suggesting that his job (laughs) is under threat. The owner there likes to think he's double clever because every time a manager's had a wobble there, he's sacked him. And this time it's not working, whereas it has worked on previous occasions. It's no guaranteed solution. I thought, you know, Steve Clark sacking was another one that was very harsh. But anyway, Pepe Mel's come in. He struggled to get that win. Now, will he get it at Swansea? I don't know. You know, Swansea are are a good football inside, so that's going to be a tough game for them. And you're trying to look at where your next result's coming from. And at the moment, I just can't see a win coming for West Brom at the moment. Yeah, next uh, three matches could decide their season. Swansea, Cardiff and Norwich... He's been accused in some quarters, Paul, of being a little weak because, allegedly, he's had to talk with the players. The players have spoken to him and suggested they're not all that comfortable with the tactics he's trying to employ. Yeah, well, it's a difficult one, that. You know, if the outside press hear that you're you're consulting the players because the results aren't going well, they want that to be weak because that's their story. It would also be seen as grown-up and adult in other areas because you're trying to get some feedback from the players. Ultimately, he can have the feedback from the players and then still make his own mind up what he's going to do. And that's what he will do, I think. Um, I don't think it's weak consulting the players. You know, I think you've got to try and understand how they're feeling. You know, I've been a many a manager that's done that when I was playing. You can have your say in the dressing room and then the manager has to set his stall out for the next game. Ten games to go for West Brom in 17th place uh, at the moment and only um, out of the drop zone on goal difference. Before we take a look uh, at an important weekend of Barclays Premier League fixtures, we're going to talk to a man who has been a crucial servant to the grassroots of the game. Aston Villa supporter Lincoln Moses has been at Continental Star FC in Birmingham since 1975 as a player, manager and now general manager. He works through the club with disadvantaged young people from inner city communities. He's waiting to have a word with us right now. Hello, Lincoln. Hi, mate. How are you? Very well, thanks. Tell us about the young people that you work with and the communities that they come from. The young people we work with are deemed hard to reach. Hard to reach is that they're marginalised by life circumstances. 
some could be low-income families. A combination of different things. We try not to put them in brackets. Some of them, we try to steer them away from antisocial behaviour. So we use football as a vehicle to engage them. Well, it is great, isn't it, to have a, a football club at the heart of the local community. It can, it can do so much good. Without a shadow of a doubt. All we have to do is, the old cliché, put two jackets down, put a ball down in a local park. We'll start off with three or four. Within an hour, there could be 20 or 30 young kids just participating in football. So it's a little like you know, Barcelona, which um, prides itself on being more than just the club. You're, you're serving a number of different purposes here, Lincoln, aren't you? Football's our main topic, but we also do after-school clubs, holiday schemes. Took some young people over to Germany, and we've integrated them into the lifestyle of Germany where they'll attend school play football and everything and the following year some young Germans from Berlin will come across so that's been very successful as well. What would you say has given you the, the greatest satisfaction since you got involved back in 1975? The legacy, the legacy of the club. Currently we have about 15 young people and trial at professional clubs at academies. For every young person who actually gets signed the achievement is immense because these are young people who basically society has given up on and all they needed was an opportunity, a helping hand. It's amazing how they could change their life around. So it's life-changing moments. That is what I take pride from. I'm not surprised. Your work hasn't gone unnoticed. You're an MBE uh, amongst a number of um, other things and I hear that you and Prince William have chatted about the villa more than once. Yeah, I was invited as one of the guests to receive an award for the 1-5-0 for the FA. Usually when you go and see Walter, you speak for 30 seconds. But he wanted to speak about the villa. And from speaking about the villa, the media got wind of it and got interviewed. Then a month later, he was in Birmingham again. And I'm a person renowned for always wearing a hat. So when he turned up at the council house, he says, oh, the man in the hat. And the conversation just grew from that. Well, it always helps to have a high-profile fan, yeah. um, doesn't it? J- just a word about Villa. You're currently 11th, 31 points, so you're six clear of trouble. Do you think you're going to be all right this season? I think we will be all right. Last year, we struggled bad, and it was basically under 21 thing what was put out. But they've had a year now and a year to grow and grow in confidence. And you'll see in certain games, they lose it. But in the majority of the time, the concentration is there. And I, I think we'll sweep the benefit by the end of the season, giving the youngsters a chance. We wish you well with the villains and and we wish you even more success with Continental Star FC. May you continue to develop over the next few years. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you for talking to me. That is Lincoln Moses, uh, who's been in charge of Continental Star FC in Birmingham since 1975 in a range of different roles. Fantastic story and, uh, you know, communities need people like that. I was just away in Dubai with an England-Scotland Vets game and there's a player called Andy McLaren who used to play for Glasgow Rangers who fell foul of drink and drugs, been clean for, I think, over 10 years now and that's exactly what he's doing in Glasgow. So it needs those type of characters that put something back into the community, are prepared to deal with difficult kids at time and giving them an opportunity and a, and a platform to go and do something and maybe turn their own life around. Well, an attractive match for Lincoln and all Villa fans to look forward to this weekend. They're at home to Chelsea Saturday evening elsewhere. Hull against Manchester City, the Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Swansea against West Brom, as we've mentioned. Everton versus Cardiff. Fulham at home to Newcastle, that latest uh, must-win match for Fulham. Southampton against Norwich. Stoke, West Ham. Sunderland against Crystal Palace. And then on Sunday, Manchester United against Liverpool and Spurs 
versus Arsenal. So plenty jumping out of the page there. Well, yeah, on the, on the Saturday games, I think, you know, the Everton-Cardiff games are an interesting one. But really, it's the Sunday games that are jumping out, yeah. But the Everton-Cardiff one's a good one as well on the Saturday. It's going to be a lazy weekend on the sofa in the Walsh household. <laughs> it is. You mentioned Everton's match against Cardiff. Four players are sure to be integral to proceedings at Goodison Parker. Phil Jagielka, Gareth Barry, Seamus Coleman and Leighton Baines. Here's what their manager, Roberto Martinez, has made of the quartet's contributions so far this season. Martinez on Baines. Leighton Baines is more than a footballer for Everton. Obviously someone that he supported the club from a young age and then he's been through every every single situation coming after a big fee and being able to settle into the team, uh, becoming quite uh, special in the way he plays the game. He brings all the attributes that uh, an Everton fan wants to see in a player. Uh, incredible heart, incredible desire, incredible high standards and that attacking threat with an incredible defensive awareness. For me, Leighton Baines is one of the best left-backs in European football, if not in world football, and he's in the best moment of his career. And for him to commit his future with, with us, I think, is one of the iconic footballers that we got at the football club, and, and it represents everything that we want to do. Martinez on Barry. He's one of those players that he doesn't appear on the highlights package too much. I think he's someone that is very, very much vital in everything that we do. He hit the, the ground running as soon as he arrived at Everton. is a perfect match. The way we want to play, the way we want to approach a game is is a figure that is he brings his experience, he brings his his winning mentality, brings his intelligence in how the game has to be played and it's, it's very, very hard to find a better player than Gareth Barry in this league. So you can be assured that every Evertonian respects and, and appreciates Gareth Barry's role at the club. Martinez on Coleman. Well, Seamus Coleman is, is someone that has arrived to the game from Ireland probably a little bit later than other footballers. He was involved in other sports, which has given him a, a great advantage in terms of the coordination and, and in terms of the, the way that he, he controls the football. I think now he's, he's ready to fulfil his potential. I think he's been performing, in my eyes, as, as one of the best right-backs in European football. And to be able to have that combination of Seamus Coleman and Leighton Baines in the same back four is quite a treat for, for everyone at the club. But I think it represents, again, someone that's got incredible standards, that uh, he bases his game in the attacking play, an incredible desire to keep growing and keep getting better. And is another of the examples of this Everton side. Martinez on Jagielka. Phil has been a a real gem in the football club and he's, he's been influential in everything good that we've done. As a captain, he leads in the dressing room. I think it's the best moment of his career, so one that he can take instructions, he can take ways of playing and then uh, you're not going to find many better defenders in the 1v1 situations and, and the way he reads the game. So to have all those strengths combined in one footballer, again, it shows you what an instrumental and what an important player Phil Jagielka is for us and, and for the future, not just of our football club, of, of English football. Roberto Martinez very excited by the genuine talent at Goodison Park and of course Phil Jagielka could have a very big summer ahead for his country as well, Paul. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think he, he's pretty nailed on for England, isn't he? Alongside Cahill, uh, that partnership's developed. You know, I think Roy Hodgson likes that pairing. 
And he is a top player, a great foil for whoever he plays alongside and um, you know, reads the game very well. He's got enough pace and experience now and I think you know he's a, he's, he's a quality player. Paul, thank you very much, Steve, for your company. Um, we'll let you go and have a, a run before you settle down <laughs> on your sofa to watch all the, the Barclays Premier League action this weekend. Uh, just before we go, have a try at this week's trivia teaser. Against Spurs on Saturday, Frank Lampard became only the fifth player to make 400 starts for the same club in the Barclays Premier League. Can you name the four other players to have achieved that particular feat. If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it onto the Barclays Football Facebook page and we will reveal it on the site later in the week. We'll be back at the same time next Tuesday to review a fascinating weekend of action, including a crucial bottom-of-the-table encounter between Sunderland and Crystal Palace and those two heavyweight clashes on Sunday as Manchester United take on arch-rivals Liverpool and Arsenal travel to Spurs for the North London Derby. But until then, from Paul Walsh and me, Marcus Buckland, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays.